0: It was interesting to hear Shah um, say this morning that I'm a scientist, as this person said, and I don't really believe in God. Well, I've spent my career as a scientist, uh, probably 40 years of it, most of it at UCT and Stellenbosch, and I see God everywhere. And that's one of the things that people who don't, don't see him anywhere. People who do see him everywhere, and maybe that's going to come out as we talk. I'm going to talk a little bit about God this morning. It's a huge subject. And it's part of this theme, expect more from the, the God in which we serve. And I think at the start, what one needs to do is one needs to be very humble and bow and to say there's many, much stuff that we will never understand about God. And much as there's in the secular world, there are limits to knowledge as well, that are well recognized. There are things that we will never understand about things around, about us. And I'm not going to go into some of the reasons for them, but that's the way it is. But there are some things that we can understand about God. And that is the wonderful thing. Well, maybe I should just say the things that we don't understand about God, for example, myself, I don't understand eternity. Um, if, if eternity has time in it, what are the units? They would be infinite, so they would be almost meaningless. And if it doesn't have time in it, well, it's a very different way from what we live now. So, And I don't understand that. I, I've got limited faculties. And we just need to bow and say, oh, God, we 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 are people who will we just worship and, and 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 bless you for who you are, but we will never understand you perfectly. But we can understand a lot, and I'm going to give very quickly before I get into it. Just give three ways, and they're ways that we know. But I think there might just be a blessing as I go through them. One will be Scripture. Uh, in Scriptures, there's God's dealings with people like. Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and things that he said about himself. And by looking at and studying that, we can know a lot about God. But what's particularly helpful, I think, are the analogies that are drawn for us in Scripture. Because those are really means of letting us get to grips with who God is. And I don't know if we always appreciate the importance of these analogies. What do I mean by analogies? Well, there's the analogy of parent child. From the parent's point of view, it's loving and caring for a child. From a child's point of view, it's dependence and loving. Well, the father is what we're taught to do. So this, this parent-child relationship is a very important thing about how we relate to God and how God relates to us. And in that also is a little bit of that as we are related to our parents in substance, so we have a, a related to God in image, the way it puts it in the scripture. So the scripture, and we will use some scriptures this morning, because it's such a big topic, I'm not going to cover it systematically. I'm going to have a look at four different scriptures. But the other ways that we can know about God, it's also in scripture, but to me it's a special case. And this is through Jesus. Because everything that Jesus did, the things that he said, what motivated him? tells us about God and my justification for that is that when Jesus was about to leave the earth he was telling his disciples that he was going to the Father and uh, they said and and you'll know where I'm going he said and you'll know how to get there and Tom said but we don't know where you're going we don't know how we're going to get there and then Philip piped up and said well show us the Father and that's enough for us this is in John chapter 14 And Jesus said to him, Philip, how long must I be with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is one of those outrageous statements, if it wasn't true. (laughs) So, and I don't think what Jesus was meaning is if you've seen me physically, you've seen the Father. What he was saying is if you see my heart, what motivates me, the way I behave, the way I've treated people. You've seen something of the Father. So, the life of Jesus tells us about God. And then there is... Nature. And I think we often downplay nature, but it's an amazingly powerful way that God communicates with us. How are you going to communicate with people who have limited faculties unless you can take things that they understand and say, look at this, look at this. That tells you something of me. So things around about nature, and there's some wonderful Things that I've learnt in life from various people who've taught this and have become embedded in me, I don't have time to talk about this this morning. But I would like to show the first scripture if we would do that. In fact, we prayed this this morning. And um, it's a runny about nature, I guess. And it says, uh, the first sentence is just the background. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. But this is now, since what may be known about God is plain to them. This is to the people who are outside, who have never known the Bible, never known Judaism or anything like that. For what, what may be known about God is plain to them because God had made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, in God's invisible qualities, and then it expands in these, his eternal power and divine nature, his Godness, have been clearly perceived, been understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse so God tells us things about himself through the things that have been made and the scripture we had this morning is the, is the one that I'm going to bring up from Psalm chapter 19 just the first part where it says the heavens are saying something to us they declare the glory of God and the skies tell about his handiwork And day after day they pour forth speech night after night they display knowledge they're busy talking And busy declaring to us things that we can know about God. There's no speech or language where their voice isn't heard. It's not dependent upon the culture from which we come, but their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It's a great pity that we live in towns like we do, where you don't see much of the stars. Uh, I mean, I was having a look the last couple of nights because I knew this was coming up. It's one of the great things of speaking. It ministers to you as much as it ministers to anybody else. But I was just looking at and, and the sadness is of where we live. You see a few stars on the top there, but you see nothing on the horizon because there's so much ambient light, it just wipes them out. Also, we're on the coast, and the, that density of air um, inhibits some of the light from the, from the stars being visible to us. But if you go to dry places like the Karoo, and I remember—I think many of you have had this experience—when you walk the fissure of a canyon, there's no place where you can sleep in the Fisher of a canyon. There's no huts. You just sleep wherever you are at the end of the day, and you lie there and you look up, and it's dry. It's in. There's no lights to upset anything, and the stars. I wish I could have the language to explain it. They just lie on you. They just—and from the faintest to the brightness and they're just everywhere. And it just like fills your, your vision and, and you've got this 3D image and you just lie there and, and, and what we see is just a fraction of what there is. Apparently what we see is all in our own galaxy. You know, I've, I've attended lectures by, by astronomers and uh, they've said that everything we see with the naked eye is just in our own galaxy. There's only one, const- uh, one galaxy that we can see with the naked eye and it's called Andromeda. But the rest is just in our own galaxy. And if you take a telescope and you just open up a tiny little fraction, it's just stars after stars after stars after stars. And I don't even want to go into them because these, these numbers, well, your mind goes into stun mode, is what I call You know, you just don't know what to do with these numbers. 10 to the 23 or 10 to the power 24 stars. And it's like, hmm, these numbers are meaningless to us. You know, you, it's hard for us to understand what a billion is. And you start throwing threes over that. And, and the distances, I mean, they're just amazing. But you lie there. I remember lying there and thinking to myself, what happens if I just, if gravity stopped working, I just floated off into this. You know, it's just, the insignificance of you is just so apparent. And we prayed this a couple of weeks ago in our Bible. Can we just have a look at the next verse? And I'm just going to look at this very briefly. But it says, uh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What we see when we see this is majesty. And uh, he then says, um, it goes on. You've set your glory above the heavens, but it goes into the next part of the verse. When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the Son of man that you care for him? It just makes you feel so small. And it's God talking to us, He's saying something to us. But now's the reason why I love this verse the heavens declare the glory of God. Although it tells us how small we are to how big God is, that is not the purpose of that verse in Psalm 19. Please listen to this. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And I don't know, that some time back I prepared a talk maybe 15 years ago And I asked myself the question, this came up, and I didn't say anything at this Tuesday meeting. We have a little house group. And what's the purpose of everything? Was the question that came up. Why, why Why do we exist? Why does everything exist? And as I traced that through and tried to find a bigger and bigger and bigger reason, there was a reason that I could not go beyond. And that is, it's all about the glory of God. And you know, if we had to, if you want to do a, have a Bible study just prepared like this, get an electronic Bible, enter the words, the glory of God, and do a search. And there will come up a string of scriptures and just look at them. God wants us to know about his glory. The heavens are one way, but he's told us about his glory in many other ways. You know, the scriptures I just told you is full of the glory of God. If, if you, once you get used to this, you look in the, old, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the glory of God just appears everywhere. here's here's an illustration I've got to watch the time I'm trying not to get too sidetracked but here's, here's what happened there's Lazarus that died and Jesus is going to pray for him and Mary and Martha are there and they're very upset because Lazarus died and he says to Lazarus what would you have said don't worry Lazarus I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead that's not what Jesus said he said if you believe you'll see the glory of God To try and convey this to us, when John sees the new Jerusalem come down, he doesn't know how to describe it. So he says, it was with a radiance. I didn't put that scripture up, but it's with a radiance as of the glory of God. And that this Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem was coming down, doesn't need the sun or the moon because the glory of God will be its light. And you know, folks, we have been made to experience the glory of God. And I'm going to come up with this. This is going to come up again in the next section that I have a look at. But it's the second scripture that I want to have a look at. But I've just told you why I love that passage. Because it tells me that it's all about God's glory. So the next passage, if you you just go on. Okay, so I'll ask you, forgive, don't worry about the bottom part. Let's just look at the top part. So there was a time... I was asked to speak, uh, give a sermon on gratitude and thankfulness. And as I was doing this and looking at the scriptures, I came across this scripture which is very well known, but it says, Give thanks to the Lord. Why wouldn't you be gratitude? For he is good and his love endures forever. And I meditated for a while in that scripture, and it just like blew my mind away that God is good and his love endures forever. And Janet would know, because once this happened, almost every prayer was full of, God, you're good, and your love endures forever. And again, if you have an electronic Bible and you do a search for words like, he's good, and his love endures forever, you will come up with 14 or 15 different scriptures in the Old Testament. Because this clearly made an impression on people that God is good, and his love endures endures forever um, as I was um, meditating on these scriptures because it came up so often I thought well let me just pick one of these others out if you do a search by the way you've got the, 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 it varies a little bit sometimes it says the Lord is good and his love endures forever sometimes it says God is good and his love endures forever sometimes it says God is good and his, love says, good and his steadfast love endures forever and sometimes it says, God is good and his mercies endure forever. But it's all the same sort of thing. And for people to think this so much in the Old Testament means that this is something that they understood of God. And I thought I would just show this to you. This is just the most moment because it comes up here. He is good and his love endures forever at the end. So the background to this is that a, a temple has been built in Jerusalem by Solomon. And when it's been finished, Solomon is going to pray over this temple. And he prays this amazing prayer really to God, telling God partly how great he is, but then treating God and said, God, when there is famine, and we pray to you, would you hear us? And when there is disease, and we pray to you, would you hear us? And when there is people attack us, and we pray to you, would you hear us? And it just goes on and on and on. And when he'd finished praying this this, this, this is one of these events in the Old Testament, there's several of them, that makes my hair stand up. Because it says that when he pray, finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed, should be a D in the end, and it's not the fault the, the version of the Bible had that missing the, the burnt offering and the sacrifices and here's again the glory of God filled the temple and the priest couldn't enter it, this is another glory of God illustration besides the bottom, the priest couldn't enter it because the, of the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it and when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, God, he is good and his love endures forever. Just imagine if this had been the temple and the glory of God filled this place and I think it filled it with a, we'll see later on, I'm already to a light and a presence that people couldn't endure. When people tried to would come in, yeah, they said, we can't go in there. It just repels you because the glory of God has filled us. That's what we're going to be experiencing one day. And so the people, it says, not just the priests, the people, we gather outside in the pavement. And because we know that the, temple, that the glory of God is in this place, they don't know what to do, but they're falling on the ground, faces to the ground, and what do they say? What spontaneously comes up? Oh, God, you're good, and your love endures forever. So, what does that all mean? What is in that good? Well, in that good is a huge amount of the character of God. And what I did is I just went to a secular dictionary and looked up the word good. What does it say? Well, good is used in many ways in English, and so not all of the descriptions were appropriate, but I took out those that were appropriate, and then I added to them. But let me say why good is, is used in many ways. I can say, I'm good for that debt. That means that I've got money and I will pay for it. Or there was a good cricket game the other night, which means it was exciting and I enjoyed it. You know, so we can use goodies in various ways. So so just this ordinary, smallish dictionary said, here's some things about good. It's right. But you know, with God, it's not just right. It's righteous. And again, this is a sermon about the righteousness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things were added unto you. It's like um, it encompasses a lot more than just being right. Uh, Excellent, virtuous, honest, just, kind, affectionate, safe, sound, valid. God is all those things. But here's the thing. He's not those things as we know them. If you know somebody is kind, you know a broken person is kind. When God is to his things, he is the definition of these things. He is those things in their perfection. And that list wasn't enough. God is merciful, full of grace. I want to write gracious and um, graceful, but they they, they have other connotations. Long-suffering, faithful, trustworthy, compassionate, generous, defender of the weak, the poor, and the abused. And one can go on. The adjectives can just flow. The goodness of God. And here's the thing about the goodness of God. God is not only good, but he alone is good. So there's two two places in the scripture. One is in Mark and one is in Luke. where in, In the Mark version it says a man came to Jesus. And in the Luke version it says a ruler came to Jesus. And they asked this question. They said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus just stopped them there. He didn't even answer that question. He said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. It's like holiness. There's only one source of holiness. Every other form is derived from that source. There's only one source of goodness. This is why I see God everywhere. It all comes from God. We're made in his image. And saved and unsaved people, I believe, when they are responding to something in them which is kind or self-sacrificial or generous or... What they're responding to is a prompting in them that comes from the source of goodness. And you know, there are times when I, I would, I don't have time to explain to you them, but you just see an event happening about you and you just, boy, God, that's just amazing. That's why you see God everywhere. <laughs> because he is good. He's the source of it all. Um, now, many of us, who maybe don't understand the goodness of God because we've had tragedies in our life. And this is a very difficult question. It's one of the questions that we struggle with and to answer. How this God who is absolutely good, how come this happens? I don't have time to go into this, but I'm just going to try and hint it a little bit. So there's a little saying that helped me a lot, a little part from C.S. Lewis, a book of his, The Great Divorce. And he wrote this, and I'm not, I apologize, I'm not going to be able to go into this in detail, but he said, both good and evil, when they are full-grown, become retrospective. Just a little statement in amongst the other things that he said there. This means that when good or evil is full-grown, it comes to the end. is retrospective. If it ends up being good, it colors the events that led up to that as good. And if it ends up as being evil, it colors the events that end up to being evil. And if it is, well, I believe it is, that it's our purpose to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and to experience the glory of God, then no matter what happened to us in this life, we'll be good. Only God can be good because he has to know all things. I don't know all things. I can be good from my perspective, but God can be good from an eternal perspective. And I want to tell you, this is a little bit philosophic, but there's a definition of what's good and evil lying in there. We often have these um, balancing statements, like we would say, wealth is good and poverty is evil. And if I say that to you, most of you will say, yes, but. (laughs) And then you'd want to explain why poverty might not always be evil or wealth may not always be good. And, or I could say, uh, health is good and sickness is evil. Uh, pleasure is good, pain is evil. And so we can go on. Um, fame is good and insignificance is less good. These, and as I said, we all know that they're kind of true, but they're not fully true. Here's what is fully true based upon the idea that what is really good is if we hear well done, good and faithful servant, and we experience the glory of God. Those things that help me to experience the glory of God one day which will make my whole life good are good for me. And those things that hinder whether it's wealth or whatever it is me coming there are not good for me. Who knows that? Only one good person. He can guide and he can direct. We just have to trust God that you are good. But the thing about God's goodness it's not just a goodness that kind of sits on a shelf somewhere. I love this old English word. His goodness is effusive. It's not a word you come across very often. But I was, it came across in a book I was reading the other day. It was about an art critic that was effusive about a piece of art. Which means that they were very positive. They were just like gushing. God's goodness is gushing. And it's expressed towards us in his love. And so when we have a scripture like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's God's goodness that is doing something. And God loves us. And I, I have had to rethink my theology a lot about that his love is not only there, but it endures forever. And I don't want to tell you what it is because I'm not sure that I'm right and I'm not sure that I understand it all. But I've asked myself, does my theology include this, that God's love endures forever, or does it end at some point? And you know, one of those other ways in which it's said is that God's steadfast love endures forever. Now I've said this to believers and others. His love is steadfast. My life does this. But when it's doing this, do I believe that God's love is also doing this? Or oh, that it's steadfast. I, I'm, I was in two minds to do this. But maybe there's some people that don't know the love of God or you think that you don't deserve the love of God. And I'm just going to try and do it in two or three minutes. Because it's just one of those powerful things from the teachings of Jesus. He told us a story. Many of us who are believers would know this. About three people, a father and two sons, a young son and an older son, and the youngest son just wanted to rebel against his father and then rebel against his sister. I want to go and do my own thing, as we very often do at a certain age. He was a, a young person. So, father, give me what is due for me when you die, and I want to go off and do something else. And apparently he would have taken about a third of the wealth of the family away because each son um, got a portion, but the eldest son got a double portion. And So since there were just two, he would have got a third, two thirds would have stayed behind. And in the old vash, uh, old. King James sort of version, he said he spent the money on riotous living, I like that because it's kind of summarizes the whole thing, until he had nothing left and he's sitting there in a pigsty and said if only I could just eat this food that's been given to the pigs, and then he remembers that his father has servants and that the servants are so much better treated than he's been treated, and he said well if I can go back I can just explain that I don't want, I realize I've taken everything, I realize I've rejected him, I realize who represents God, of course, the Father, and I just was not interested in him, and I'm just saying, look, I just, want to, I just want some food, and I'm prepared to work as any other servant does, and just kind of ignore me. And the Father, it says, when, when the boy is walking, he's a long way away. Father sees him coming, and he just runs towards him, and embraces him. And the words that are used in the old versions were, he fell on his neck and kissed him. And then he said, but you can't wear clothes like this. Bring a robe. And you are part of this family. Bring a ring. No criticism. No. I mean, if that was me, I would have said, I hope you've learned something from this thing. But God, just. The love of God. So there's a the third passage that I look at. I'm going to go a bit more quickly. Is maybe we can just flick over? Yeah. So this this I learned. This is the message that we've heard from him, and declare to you that God is light, and him is no darkness at all. Another absolutely powerful verse. I learned this from, uh, particularly from a guy called George Macdonald. So I would say that C.S. Lewis was a mentor of mine for a while. And George MacDonald was a mentor of C.S. Lewis. So I read everything I could from George MacDonald. I said, if you've mentored C.S. Lewis, help me too. It's just an amazing thing. He writes many, writes a lot of poetry, which doesn't mean as much to me, but lots of novels. And, and he writes some sp- sermons, unspoken sermons. But this is one of the things that he points, this is to him. One of the greatest things about God is that he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We know we have to remember who said this now. The person who wrote this is the book of John. So it's Apostle John. The Apostle John knew Jesus like almost none of the other people on earth knew Jesus. So there's Peter, James, and John, these three people that were very close with him. And then John wrote a gospel explaining about the life of Jesus and what he did, which is a very spiritual gospel compared to the others. And light features very strongly in that, I must tell you. And one of the things that he then said is that if I had to take the message of Jesus, this is the message we heard of him, and I had to kind of summarize it in just a few words, it would be this that God is light and in him is no darkness. So those words really have importance. And you know, importance. And this is again where God speaks to us through nature. What does light mean to you? Well, light exposes things, doesn't it? It, it? It enables us to see where things were dark. And it talks about um, transparency and openness and not hiding things. But God's light is not like the light of physics. Because if I have light of physics, it casts shadows. But in God's light, there is no darkness. It's something that's almost got to be able to be revealed to you. And I don't want to go into this, but there was a a thing about interpreting dreams and stuff that we came across some years ago, and people had all sorts of stuff, and I just said, that is nonsense. Because if there's any shadow in there, it's got nothing to do with God. (laughs) Totally exposed. Uh, And this was in the context, why John was doing this, he was trying to say, hey, but if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This is the secret to getting on well with people. It's to walk in the light as he is in the light. Then you have fellowship with each other. And here's the thing. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you, purifies us from all our sin. So we walk in the light with God and we walk in the light with each other and he is just so gracious and kind towards us. And one of the other verses which I didn't put up that just follows this says, if we confess our sin... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us to all unrighteousness. There's a massive amount of theology in there. But this idea is, God, you are light. And as I've just already told you, you don't need light in that new Jerusalem because the glory of God is the light. I've put up another couple of other scriptures because these just capture my imagination as I read them. Here, what I love about this is, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light and who no one has seen or can see. It's this unapproachable light. Like I said, when it filled the temple, and the people just couldn't come in there. That's who God is. If you espouse light, if you espouse openness, if you do transparent things, if you don't, you know, this is, so, this is just so deep and I don't have time to talk about this. When we, when we, you cannot walk in the light and tell lies. That, that takes a practice. It's possible. <laughs> or, or to misrepresent things, or to over-exaggerate things. It's just not walking in the light. But you know, if you walk in the light, it is absolutely freeing. This one too. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. I love the old King James Version, and there's some hymns with this It says, there's no shadow of turning with God. There's no shadow of turning with thee. And the, the imagery that no shadow of turning creates for me is that if we have a shadow outside because the sun is shining, it makes a shadow. And in the morning, the shadow is long, and then it comes in shorter, and then it gets long again. So it turns. Of course, the shadow's not turning. What's happening is the earth's turning, but it looks like the is turning. But with God, there's no shadow of turning. Love is steadfast, his shadow, is, his light is eternal, and it, there's no darkness with God. Just, just the most beautiful thing. I, I think let's go on to the next. Yeah, so I'm going to finish with this one, I'm going to do this one more briefly. But this again, it's one of those grand scriptures at the end of Romans chapter 11, just kind of thrown, thrown in here. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Notice, all things, things visible, things invisible, are from him and through him and to him. So when I talk about goodness and stuff, he's the source, they're from him. But, it talks about that he is the, he is the start, he, the, the, he's the source. And there are times when I, this is one of the things when you pray, and I just don't know how to pray, and I often say this, oh God, and the words just sound so pathetic. You're the source of everything. You know, when it's like, hey, you can do better than that, but the problem is, it's very difficult. So he is the source of everything. And not only is he the source, but he powers it all. They're through him. And they're to him, because he, it's, it's all about his glory. And this person, the Paul who wrote this said uh, to him be the glory forever. He realizes too. This is, it's all about the glory of God. And I've just thrown just to, mix, just to show you what uh, it mixes light with from him and through him to him. The next uh, scripture verse. So this is from him. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God talking about Jesus and through all things him, all things were made that were made. This is all from him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that light was life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness. Again, light and darkness like the previous thing, but the darkness has not understood it. I would love to go on with that, but I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. But note uh, there's one other place which goes on further. It says that in him was life and the light of men. It says that God lighted every person that came into the world. And the imagery is of this light was put on, but in some cases, it's kind of not very strong or it's very weak, but it can flame again. If in our lives, if we just give God the chance and, we, and understand, we can espouse that light and it can then glow again within us. Uh, but it's this idea that he created all things and it all comes from him. And not only that, he sustains it all. So the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And again, you know, see the sun. It's telling you something about God, as I was trying to say earlier. There's just so many scriptures, I just abandoned many. But they're popping up in other contexts. And, uh, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. This is the sun sustains all things, is the way that is that explained to us. So I'm going to, uh, there's another statement that I want to uh, just read about God. Um, Okay, I, I was going to... Maybe just, we just read this and I, I'm not going to talk about it. This is a statement by a guy called Adam Clark. It's quoted in a book of Dallas Willis and I thought it was rather nice and I kind of read it but it doesn't capture everything in my view but nevertheless, it's a great effort. Uh, it comes from the book The Divine, Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. He just quotes this. God is the eternal, independent and self-existent being. The being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing he has made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence, known fully by, only by himself, because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by himself. A wonderful statement. doesn't quite capture to me the glory of God and the love of God, and, uh, but... It's I can't do better. So, um, so what we've done this morning is just as a small touching here and there, but it has covered quite a lot—not complete—of who God is and what He can mean to us. It was, the heavens declare God's glory. God is good, and His love endures forever. He is light, and in Him is no darkness. For from him and through him and to him are all things. So I'm going to do it like that. But what I would like to say is that if there is somebody who doesn't know God, who's like that scientist who Charles was talking about, who said, I kind of I kind of believe in God, but I'm a scientist. I don't know what to do with this. Oh, I'm not a scientist. I'm just a rationalist. And I kind of don't understand this. If there is such a person like that here, please don't let this time go. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up or to embarrass you. Please don't let it go. You kind of need to strike whilst you, you feel. It, it, if God moves in your spirit, it's a gift. You don't want to let that slip. You want to make use of the opportunity one has because we get hot and cold and it gets cold again. So if there is somebody, would you please just come and either chat to myself or to Bates or to there's your there or there's Ollie there or the other people house group leaders or so on that we could direct you to. But I would like to just tell you a little bit about how you can start to get to know this God that I've so inadequately tried to talk to. Yes, and so Father, I just again, Lord, just bow before you and your magnificence and just thank you for filling this world with your presence. And ask Lord that we would you would just reveal yourself to us as we go around and look you are just everywhere, and know you open our eyes that we would just see you in your presence, and that you would fill our very beings. We Lord are like uh, when that man was overwhelmed with the psalmist by what he saw above and by your majesty we just get over, I just get overwhelmed by who you are, and just ask Lord that you would bless folks who are here, reveal yourself to us, make us Those who are people who walk in the light, and that we would all experience one day this glory of God. We ask it in your name of your Son.